If you or someone you know is suffering a suicidal crisis or emotional distress, dial 988 for the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. This free and confidential resource offers 24-7 emotional support to those in need. Additional information can be found at assp.org forward slash resources forward slash total hyphen worker hyphen health. This episode of the Case for Safety podcast is sponsored by Safety Focus. Use the promo code 22SFOPOD at checkout for 10% off your Safety Focus registration. Learn more and register at safetyfocus.assp.org. Welcome to the Case for Safety podcast, bringing you expert tips to improve safety and health at your workplace. I'm your host, Scott Fowler. In 2019, more than 300 suicides took place at work, the highest level on record. An average of 130 suicides occur every day in the U.S. As part of National Suicide Prevention Awareness Week and National Suicide Prevention Month, we wanted to take some time to talk about mental health in the workplace and the unique role that safety professionals can play to help lead the effort to prevent suicide. Joining me today to share her insights on that and how safety professionals can make a difference is Lori Schroth. Lori is Senior Safety and Environmental Professional at Concurrent Technologies Corporation. Lori, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. So to, to kind of start the conversation off, I thought a good place to start would be to talk about the issue of workplace suicide, how that ties in with workplace safety and health to kind of set the foundation for the rest of our conversation. Well, you know, depression is a leading cause of suicide. And if a worker is struggling with depression, it can impact their safety and the safety of others too in your workplace. There's a lot of different uh, ways that it can impact their safety. But first of all, there, there can be a result in a loss of focus on a task, sleepiness, or not paying attention to details, which increases the risk of injury. And an example that I found online is that in 2019, there was three top occupations too that um, occupational suicides occurred in. And these occupations were heavy and tractor trailer drivers, first line supervisors in retail sales, and military specific occupations. And when I saw heavy and tractor trailer drivers on this list, I immediately thought of losing a focus on a task, sleepiness, not paying attention. You know, they're on the road for long hours every day doing their jobs. And if they're depressed and they're tired, lethargic, um, their brain just can't give them the focus that they need to focus on driving and they fall asleep or something, they can injure others. You know, these aren't even their coworkers. These are other people on the roads. Um, they can injure themselves. There's a lot of things that can happen whenever there is an incident that occurs. Now, like I mentioned, a lot of these people have depression and depression can come from a number of factors. This can be from a lack of job variety, um, a lack of job autonomy, Maybe there's conflicts between their work life and their family life. 
heightened job satisfaction. There could be bullying behind the scenes, uh, a poor organizational culture. Maybe they think their job's not meaningful or there's excessive job demands or unrealistic deadlines. There's a plethora of reasons that can not only cause depression, but heighten depression too, and increase those suicidal ideations that employers can experience. Now, an occupational suicide may not only affect workers. Um, as I mentioned, it can affect public people that, that work outside the company or nearby. But this can also have a dollar factor associated with it with these organizations too. If there is some sort of suicide-related incident, whether that be a suicide attempt or full incapacity or an actual fatality, an organization will have to financially deal with those outcomes as well, too. There can be a production disturbance, like it can completely halt production if you're in a production environment. There might be staff turnover because people don't want to come back to the workplace or they feel that they can't. Maybe they're not comfortable with it. There's um, human capital lost. There's medical costs maybe to assist others with mental issues that may arise from this. Administrative costs due to employer investigations. There could be an increase of absences. And grief and trauma can linger among your workers and others too. And this can have long-term effects on your organizational culture and the way that your business operates. So whenever we think of suicide, I know we typically think of like that one person that's dealing with depression, but there's really a lot of other factors, both organizational-wide and coworker-wide that, that can be affected as well. Definitely. That's that a, a lot of really great points. Um, and I'm glad you mentioned there, you know, there can be a lot of factors that emerge from the workplace that can you know, lead to feelings of, of, of depression and manifest themselves in other ways. And thinking about, you know, the role that safety professionals can, can play in helping address these issues. H- how do you feel you know, they, they can bring that perspective to, you know, help workers, you know, address some of those stressors they may be facing and help those who may be be struggling with depression or, or other issues? Well, let me tell you a personal story real, real quick, because I am a safety professional. And in my first job after college, I actually dealt with a suicide. And it wasn't an occupational suicide in the workplace, but one of our workers actually didn't show up for work for a couple days. Um, her family called called us and asked her if she was coming to work and we said no and it was a suicide at her house so um i was a safety and environmental professional there but i also had human resource responsibilities as well so i got to experience the aftermath of a suicide even though it didn't happen right in our workplace it, it did affect our coworkers. We had to deal with local law officials and um, we had to work with her family afterwards as well. So, you know, as a new grad right out of college, I mean, that's a lot to handle. And, you know, myself and the girl that I worked with that was the human resources professional, we realized that we didn't really have any resources in place to be proactive. 
And so the role of a safety professional is really is to be proactive. You know, if you're reactive to this, you're going to have a lost life. You're going to have to deal with the family and the law officials like I had to. And, you know, you'll have grieving coworkers all around you. I highly encourage any safety professional to work closely with their human resources staff or employee relations to develop policies and procedures that not only target wellness, but suicide specifically. Some of the things that we did was we came up with a program to identify at-risk employees. You know, there's employees out there, and I know we're going to talk about the warning signs later in this podcast, but really knowing what the warning signs are will help you identify these at-risk employees. And what we did was we really targeted our supervisors. We trained them on the warning signs and symptoms of suicidal ideations so they could watch their workers and report to us whenever there was a change in behavior or just a red flag that indicated, hey, this person might need help. Uh, They might need a hand. They might need somebody to talk to. And we would go out to them and, you know, give them resources or just like make small talk with them to see how they were doing. But those are just kind of the, the things that I've experienced as a safety professional, what we've done that was successful. You know, a safety professional should not target suicide prevention alone. It should be a collaborative effort in an organization with human resources, maybe even top managers, like I mentioned, whoever interacts with employees at your company and can recognize how to prevent it. That, that would be my advice right there. I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned, you know, the collaboration and the policies and procedures, and we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit, as well as, uh, as you noted, the, the warning signs, which leads into my next question. The being proactive, such a big part of that is understanding, you know, the, the signs and symptoms and what to look for in those who are struggling. So what are some things that you know safety professionals can look for and that safety professionals can train others to look for in someone who may who may be struggling and in need of help? All right. So I mentioned depression, but in reality, suicide is a complex phenomenon that is influenced by several intersecting life factors. Um, there's individual attributes, environmental conditions, even access to lethal means. It's a very complex topic, which makes it very difficult to identify the warning signs sometimes. One of the key warning signs, though, is behavioral changes and social interactions with coworkers. Almost every study that I read identified that there was a behavioral change in a person that attempted suicide or was successful with suicide. So suicide generally does stem from depression, but usually these people that have feelings of depression also have feelings of hopelessness, irritability, or rage. And these feelings can be expressed in different ways. Sometimes they're through mood swings, insomnia, panic attacks, or even social isolation. And if you're in the workplace, your coworkers may sometimes recognize how these feelings are expressed. And sometimes they might not, like they might not know that you have insomnia, but they might know that you have a mood swing. The way suicidal ideations are expressed does vary by individual. It is not consistent across the board. So it's important to watch for any behavior changes that diverts from this person's normal behavior. Um, If they're acting 
in a manner that they don't always act in, that's a red flag right there. I know one of the things that I mentioned here was like social isolation. Of course, you're always going to have some people that just don't socially interact, but watch for those changes. Um, if you have some like a social butterfly who one day just stops talking to everybody, that's a red flag. Why are they not talking to everybody? Remember differences in behavior that stray from their norm. And um, while there are changes in behavior, sometimes it's not always apparent to others, but there may be verbal cues too that you can look for. Like if somebody starts talking about ending their life or feeling trapped or like a burden to others, this should be taken seriously. Even if it's used in a joking manner, they could be serious. Uh, Why did they bring it up? How did that fit in the conversation? Are they throwing it out there to like gauge the water, see like if you're going to say anything about it? And sometimes there's obvious actions too, like maybe purchasing weapons and they're not like a, they never did that before, or maybe they're getting their end of life affairs in order. And and that was never discussed or talked about, or there is like a young age where, where that would seem odd. These verbal cues and behaviors should be taken seriously. And just remember if they stray from normal behavior, that's a red flag. A lot of really good things to keep in mind. I'm glad you met even, even something said in jest, so to speak, should be taken seriously. So I definitely want to encourage folks to keep an eye out for all those things. So talking about, you know, taking that next step, you touched on the policies and procedures. What's the next step toward, you know, getting them the resources and the support they need? Well, uh, before I, I throw out those initiatives, I want to, I want to comment on an article that I recently read. And this article is from 2016, so it's a little outdated, but it's from a journal called Crisis. The article is called The Impact of a Suicide Prevention Strategy on Reducing the Economic Cost of Suicide in the New South Wales Construction Industry. And they had a statistic in there that really caught my eye. But it said for every $1 invested in suicide prevention, $4.60 would be returned to society. So this is an economical factor that shows if you invest in suicide prevention, you will be contributing both financially to society, but you'll also be reducing the heartache and, and saving a life. And I just thought that 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 value was was priceless right there. It's basically showing that it's worth it to prevent suicides, not just from a person perspective, but from a financial perspective too. But there's a lot of initiatives that an organization can put into place that focuses on both suicide prevention and the aftermath too. Prevention-wise, I know I threw out there the term wellness, which is a a hot word nowadays, but, you know, you can form a wellness committee. And while this may not focus on suicide specifically, um, it can promote wellness activities that can improve your mental health, uh, improve your self-esteem, help with emotional intelligence and resiliency. Um, It can really encourage discussion and engagement of those that are having a difficult time with their mental health and wellness. A wellness committee is basically a group of people that come together and they come up with initiatives and activities at a business 
to foster social inclusion and to have events that are group-wide to just make you mentally feel better. For example, it, my current company, we just had a, a wellness initiative where you had to try to walk every single day and you logged how far you walked for a weight loss challenge. So that's part of wellness, but from a health perspective, not mental. A wellness committee can come up with a variety of ideas to promote mental wellness and both physical wellness at their company. Um, Another thing that, that businesses can do is promote support groups. Now, you can have an internal support group. An internal support group would be beneficial if you've identified a poor mental health and wellness trend in your organization for whatever reason. Or maybe if you did have some sort of suicide attempt occur at your organization, this would give your, your coworkers an opportunity to discuss the situation, how they feel. And I know that there's been a couple studies out there that have shown that suicidal ideations do decrease whenever there's a discussion factor involved to, to talk out their feelings. And if you didn't do an in-house support group, another thing that you could do is on your local bulletin board, you could post community-sponsored groups too. So if somebody in your organization was having a mental health challenge or issues with their personal life, they could see that and be like, hey, this support group might help me. So it's, it's more like on an awareness level. Now, one of the things that I personally did in my experience as a safety professional after my experience was to develop a list of resources that you can distribute to employees that are at risk or employees that have recently dealt with somebody in a suicide attempt or or incident. But some of the resources that I created on, on my pamphlet that I created was local suicide prevention hotlines, national hotlines a list of local therapists and their phone numbers and what their area of focuses were, and then any support groups that were also locally available too. But having those resources on hand, especially like in the form of a pamphlet or a flyer or something that you can easily hand to somebody and walk away, you know, that can be very helpful to them. They can do with the information with what they want, but at the same time, it's showing like, hey, I've noticed that you're having a mental health challenge. We care. Here's some resources that you can reach out to and maybe get some help. In one of the other businesses that I've worked with in my, in my career, I, I've noticed that a couple of organizations had mental health advocates. And I thought that this was a very good and unique idea if you choose the right person to be the advocate for your organization. An advocate should be respected by your workforce, and they should have a level of trust. So somebody can speak to them confidentially, and they know that they won't gossip everywhere about the problems or the feelings or the concerns that you're having. But when you have a mental health advocate identified at your facility, this allows your workers to go to them and talk about any concerns that they're having, or maybe any work obstacles or challenges that they're experiencing. And what's nice is this mental health advocate works at the same place as you do. So they can probably relate to your situation and what you're experiencing and give you good advice on, on a way forward, or maybe even exercises that you can, you can do to relieve your stress or feelings of anxiety. 
something that you might not think about when you think of suicide prevention is soft skills development. Now, depending on the type of work that your organization performs, you may have employees that feel like they're stuck in their job, that there's no room for movement, they can't can't do better, they can't move up in the company. So one of the ways to overcome this, this, this feeling is soft skills development. And this is basically giving your employees tools so they can advance their knowledge and then, you know, advance their careers later on. And a good example of this is even a tuition reimbursement program. If you have a reimbursement program in place, it allows the employee to go back to school and get some more education and knowledge on their career topic that can maybe help them excel in their career and move up or even move to a different department or something. But it just gives them an avenue to get more knowledge so they don't feel stuck in the same job position for a long time. And then we have employee assistance programs or EAPs. In the safety field, an EAP, when you say EAP, you think of emergency action plan. In the HR field, though, it's employee assistance program. This is basically a program that operates within your business. So you can identify troubled employees. You can motivate them to resolve their troubles. And then you can provide them with access to counseling or treatment as needed. In an EAP, you can have information about how to access in-house support, whether that be a support group that you have or a mental health advocate. You can have intervention steps in there too. So if you really do identify a red flag, how are we going to proceed? What's the next step? And then there's a referral system too. Depending on your organization, this referral system might refer an employee to counseling or treatment, depending on what their job is, what the work environment is. Maybe you really do need them to go to a therapist if there's a red flag that's shown before they can proceed in their career. There's benefits to implement work-life balance as well, too. And yeah, I see this getting better with organizations, especially due to COVID and the teleworking situation and everything. But employees really do appreciate a good work-life balance. Uh, They like teleworking. They like flex time. Maybe you can give them time to do fitness activities uh, during the workday. You can promote breaks and you can integrate these benefits into policies and procedures to make them more solidified. But promoting that work-life balance really does help de-stress employees and bring down the likelihood of depression too, especially when they don't feel overwhelmed in their day-to-day work life because they can't get personal stuff done as well. And then one of the more important things I want to bring up is an initiative for after a suicide attempt occurs. Now, no organization wants to experience a suicide, but if one does happen in the workplace, you can't just let that go without saying anything about it. It does have to be addressed. You need to make sure that there's a supportive structure in place to allow employees to express their feelings or else they'll get depressed. It's, it's, you know, it's a domino effect. For de-escalation training, you'll want to debrief your workforce. You can give them an overview of the incident without the private details that, that don't need to be shared with them. You can tell them what was done correctly among the company and the coworkers or what to handle better next time. 
Maybe you can talk about how to improve response and go over those warning signs and symptoms of depression and suicide ideations to just make people aware that we really want to prevent this. Let's not have it happen again. Uh, What can we do better next time? And then you'll want to promote them taking advantage of any resources that are available both within the company and outside the company as well. And I do want to mention that with all these initiatives, management buy-in and support is key to these. If you don't have management support to the initiatives that you're putting in place, nobody's going to participate. They'll be scared to, to speak up, to participate. There just has to be management support and buy-in to implement anything that is in place. And your organizational culture really needs to foster people speaking up and saying when they need help and reporting red flags when they notice those changes in behavior among their, among their peers. So those are the initiatives that I came up with, with what a company should do to be preventive and yet educate their workforce after the fact as well. Right. And I'm so glad you mentioned culture at the end there, because throughout all, all of these initiatives, that was a word that kept coming to my mind that it seems like culture is so critical to all of this and making your workforce understand that you you do care, you are there to help support them, and that it is a collaboration across the entire organization to help you know re- remove that stigma and make people comfortable having these conversations so then they can get the help that they need. Yes. And you know, with organizational culture, you can always conduct a perception survey on like work-life balance or employee perceptions regarding like workplace stress or what they could change to, to be better. Um, a perception survey might also provide more insight as to the initiatives that your organization could adopt and implement in, in the long term in order to prevent suicides too. Absolutely. As we uh, as we close out here, is there anything else you'd like to add about suicide prevention in the workplace and the role safety professionals can play in helping address that among their workforce? I'm very glad to hear that September is Suicide Prevention Month and Awareness Month because I think that a, an Awareness Month really needs to happen just to educate our employees and our supervisors and everything just so we don't lose sight of the importance of this topic. Definitely. And I really appreciate you you coming on and sharing your, your insight and support of that effort. This is such an important topic, and I hope safety professionals and employers out there think about how they can you know, take what we've talked about today and uh, use it to help uh, support their organization. So thank you so much again, Lori. All right. Thank you. Join us at Safety Focus October 24th through the 28th, 2022 in Columbia, Maryland and online. Use the promo code 22SFOPOD at checkout for 10% off your registration. Learn more and register at safetyfocus.assp.org. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Case for Safety podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us at assp.org and follow us on Twitter at assp safety. We'll see you next time.